When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fish Unfiltered, episode 42 on the Fish on First podcast network. My name is Kevin Barrada. I'm joined with Eli Sussman. No Isaac Azu today. We have Arm Layton of Just Baseball. He is the prospect guru. I listen to his po- the call-up podcast basically every day. Probably some of the best insight on minor league prospects. Arm just released pretty recently, I think a couple days before we released ours, the top, I think it was like top 15, top 30 prospects in the Marlins organization. We have to bring him on because there are some questions not only about his list, but just talk about the Marlins system as a whole, which has some guys who have impressed, some underrated names, and then some guys that are kind of on the brink of you're kind of out on. But Aram, thank you so much for hopping on, and we're very excited to talk some prospects. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. And uh, it, it's been fun, you know, kind of putting together the Marlins system. That was one that obviously is a little bit closer to home, but it, it it definitely is a little bit further off from what it used to be when we were covering it. So I'm excited to talk about it still, though. There's a lot of talent still, uh, like any farm system. But, yeah, it's not quite what it once was. So I think the first guy we need to mention is the top prospect, Yuri Perez. He made his MLB debut, got called up. What were your expectations for Yuri heading into the season in terms of, you know, even minor leagues? And just how is he fading in, in the big leagues? I mean, we're seeing – we talked about this on the day of his debut – he kind of shied away uh, with, I think it was the change up. He's gone more to the mm-hmm. curveball. He didn't use it as much in Colorado, I believe, when I'm looking at the numbers. And then he used it. And then, you know, Anaheim, probably one of his better starts despite just three strikeouts. Yeah. You know, I, I would say, because I think it's an excellent question, he's exceeded kind of my expectations, especially when I was able to see up close and personal, you know, what was going on in spring training a little bit, uh, watching some of the minor league starts. There was just a handful of pitches at every start where I'm like, ooh, you know, you might not get away with that at, at, the, at the big league level. Again, we're splitting hairs here. Obviously, you know, in, in the larger scheme of things in his starts, he's looked fantastic time and time again in the minor leagues. But, you know, he sets a high bar for himself, which is go into the big leagues and dominate. He's one of those prospects where you assume that that's what they're going to do. Fastball command was my one question. And it's, it's funny because Grayson Rodriguez, who, you know, many evaluators would have said is more polished is struggling with the same exact thing, fastball command, and that's why he's getting bombed. I'd argue Yuri has a better feel for his secondaries right now, and that's the difference. That on top of the fact that Yuri's fastball is just better, so he can get away with a little bit more. But to specifically answer the question, I'd say he's exceeded my expectations because we're still not even seeing anything close to what he can be, which is a guy that I think is right around the, the realm of Sandy, if not you know in that ballpark. But Right now we're seeing kind of that that phase two of Sandy. It's almost like he skipped that first phase of Sandy and skipped straight to phase two, which is gets out, stuff is crazy. Not quite as many strikeouts as, you, as you'd expect, but still plenty of uncomfortable swings, good sequencing, and staying around the zone enough. I, I've been absolutely floored by Yuri so far. 
Yeah, you put you put it pretty well on just baseball. Uh, I was listening to just baseball show and you touched on that. How with Sandy, like you see the similarities, but Sandy had better portion of a whole year where he was working through those control issues. And with him, with Yuri, not only being younger at the time where he's making this leap, but where that's not even coming into play. It is. Yeah, it is pretty remarkable here. Um, I guess the only thing is like the still unknown is we don't know what he looks like deep into these games because he's yeah. never gone past 90 pitches. He's barely ever faced anybody a third time through. Um, so is that, is that something where we really just don't know what that looks like until we see it? Or do you have like any speculation as to like how things would go if he gets pushed a little bit further than he has been so far? You know, it's funny you bring that up because, you know, I've specifically looked at and not just with Yuri, with other prospects as well, but specifically with Yuri because of this exact reason, how the velocity sustains later into starts. And, you know, we haven't seen him go to triple digit pitches like you've like you've mentioned. He's pretty much 90 and they won't even let him get close to that right now. But the velocity has been there pretty much all the way till he gets to a 78th pitch or 84th pitch or however, however close they let him get to 90. So. I don't think he's shown any signs that he's incapable. And then when you look at the arsenal, yeah, the changeup, I'd like to see it be there more. You know, you mentioned cores, Kevin, like that was probably part of the game plan to use more horizontal breaking pitches because that's less affected by the altitude. Mm -hmm. So we didn't get to see it, you know, maybe test it out a little bit more there. First start, he barely used it. Second start, we saw a little bit more. I think the deep bag that he has, the arsenal that he has, will allow him to be the kind of guy that just changes his looks first time through, second time through, third time through. So I think in the long term, he's a guy that should be built for going deep into starts, similar to Sandy. Um, and and you know I don't like to beat a dead horse with like the Sandy comparison. I also think it's a little unfair to him, but it's almost impossible not to when it's this yeah. uncanny with the Arsenal, with the size, with the way that they're able to attack hitters. And I think that's something that's going to play into Yuri's favor. He's going to be able to go deep into starts. I think once they let him. But I understand them wanting to be careful with him. I I, I get it. That was a ball as soon as it left uh, Yuri's hand, and that was a strike. As soon as Trout swung, 97 blew it right by him. He struck out Trout and Otani today. And then before we move on with here, I mean, you still have Trevor. He's not going to make him, I believe, a rehab start. And I mean, whatever happens with Cueto, we'll see. But do you think Yuri's earned himself a couple more starts in the bigs? Because Trevor's close. I mean, you would say maybe one or two starts for Yuri away from Trevor really being back. And after that, I mean, Braxton's been good. He's been holding his own weight. You can't, I mean, Sandy, besides the struggles, he's not going to go anywhere. And then you have Luzardo, who's been pretty damn good. And Edward with the walk issues, that's really been my only concern thus far. Has Yuri earned himself to stay at the big league level? or And Miami has to move, you know, shift the rotation a little bit with when Trevor comes back? Or is it, you know, it does it make sense for him to go to AAA and work on maybe getting more length, in, more pitches, more innings? You know, I think that's a good question, but and when it comes to the situation, though, I don't see how you could stop Yuri from continuing to pitch at the big league level. I yeah. the, the guy is getting better and better each start, in my opinion. And, and even if you, you look at the stat line, it might not always look that way, but at least what we saw in terms of pitch execution uh, in that last outing, I think was just better than anything we've seen so far. Again, I, I know yeah. he's had better starts by the stat line, but in terms of who he was facing and how he was able to execute and sequence in that start against the Angels, I thought that was the best start we saw from him. I, Eli, you're you're a savant at this stuff when it comes to the, uh, the the options that each player has. Does Edward have any options left? 
one. Yeah, this was a big topic entering the year because originally we thought he was out of options and they put in a request and got a, it's going to be his fourth option. So that is on the wow, table. I didn't even know you could do that. See, there you go. I, I, I knew I had no issue putting you on the spot there. But to, to answer your question, now that I have that context too, like I would 100% send Edward Cabrera down before I send Yuri down. I, and it's not to knock Edward or, or pile on. Like, I, you know, I think in any other circumstance, I'd leave him up. It's not just like he needs to go down. But, you know, if someone steps up, especially with the way the Marlins are playing right now, and, and Yuri obviously gives you a better shot every fifth day, I think Yuri's, you know, you got the ebbs and flows. I think the down, that down starts of Yuri are far better than the down starts of Edward. Maybe, maybe their ceilings right now are similar. Maybe Edward can be even nastier when he's on. I, I don't know if that's the case, but it could be very close. But when Edward is off, that guy can lose you an outing. We haven't seen that yet from Yuri, and I think for that reason alone, uh, you'd have to probably send Edward out. I also wouldn't rule out, and I don't know if the Marlins have considered it. I don't know if they've really talked about it. A six-man rotation will make a lot of sense, especially when you look at the arms in this group. You have Rodgers coming off of injury. You have Cueto coming off of injury. You have Jesus Lizardo with an extensive injury history. And you have Yuri, who you're trying to you know, very much limit how many innings he's going to throw. I think a six-man rotation would make all the sense in the world. The only downside of that would be, oh, your ace isn't pitching as much, but your ace hasn't even been that great so far this year, so maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. I wonder if that would be a consideration. Yeah, and then the only – I mean, now we can move on from Yuri. I wanted to talk about just the system as a whole. We, we've seen the system outside of Yuri. I mean, you basically have Dax, you have an injured Max Meyer, an injured Jake Eater. And then position player-wise, it's it's really scarce. I mean, there's not much. You have Victor Mesa Jr., who you have regarded as the top position player, and I want to get into that in a bit. You have, we have Yidi, who, despite his good start, now he's beginning to struggle. Um, really, outside of that, you have a pretty bad Jacob Berry, who has not looked good. And then you have God knows who. So just what are your thoughts on the system as a whole? What do you think is the state of the system? It's, it's really hard to put it because – just a couple of years ago, you had some pretty damn good prospects. And look, now I'm remembering one, Khalil Watson right now, who's having a pretty good year with uh, with Beloit. But what's your whole thoughts on, on the system? Yeah, man. I mean, look, it's it's not good. Um, the, the good news is they still have a fair amount of, of upper-level arms that, when healthy, a lot of teams will have interest in. But that's the worst part is their biggest strength right now is handicapped by injuries. I mean, even now you have Dax on the IL. Eater should be back relatively soon. I think, you know, if he gets enough starts under his belt by the time we get to June, July, I think a lot of teams would have interest in him if they wanted to move him. I think Eater is also a fantastic arm. Um, Meyer, I think, you know, that's a guy that is kind of proven everything he needs to prove in the minor leagues. So once he comes back, I'm sure he makes some rehab starts to get to the big leagues. So those are guys that like, to me, or especially Meyer, like not barely even on a, a prospect at this point. Uh, but Eater coming back will help a lot. Dax being off to a slow start kind of hurts. But the fact that I can isolate a few prospects and say that helps or hurts the state of the farm, I think shows you how top heavy the farm system is at this point. One of the best possible developments, though, and something that helps makes me feel a lot better about this farm. Um, again, taking it from the depth to you know just the bottom third has been the performance of Khalil Watson and the emergence of, of Yiddy Cap and then some of the international free agents who have shown well. And we know the Marlins have you know put a priority into investing out there and developing out there. You know, there's some there's there's some players in the lower levels that you know I I think have looked pretty good and hopefully can turn into something. But talking about the guy stateside, poor drafting. I, I, I was interacting with some guys on Twitter. I think Eli was in that thread as well. And 
ultimately you can make good trades even if you develop pretty well if you don't do well in the first five rounds over the course of a couple years your farm system's not going to be able to tread water and that's exactly what we're seeing now you know, yes watson's kind of been up and down i think he's ultimately i'm not even going to call that a bad pick because i think he looks pretty good Jacob Berry, like we're talking about a guy that you pick sixth overall and, you know, by any legitimate top 100 list, he, he wouldn't be on there. And honestly, I don't think he's a top five or six prospect in this week system. That should tell you something. So it's, it's a far cry from where it once was. You have a lot of guys that had upside that just have kind of fizzled out. And then some of the trades, you know, you go get a Jordan Groshans. Why do you think the Blue Jays were probably willing to trade their former first round pick for bad. a pair of relievers? Because yeah. there's not much there. Um, it's just kind of where they're at now. And it's going to be really interesting to see how they go about it. And I think how this team obviously performs over the next month or two will really determine that. But they, they got to stop making trades for those upper-level minor league guys if they do end up selling. Because just because Jordan Groshans is a nice name, you're better off taking a lottery ticket in high A or low A than you know a very capped upper minor level guy that doesn't have one standout tool like a Jordan Groshans, not to, not to poke at him too much. That's just an example. Yeah. Well, yeah, to keep it positive, uh, I want to hear more about a uh, Victor Mesa jr. Really high on him on your recent list. You just had him on the call up. So if anybody yeah. hasn't heard that interview, um, just give us a quick summary about what you covered on there. You made another really great catch in center field last night. So what he's doing really on both sides of the ball, like looking like a legit defensive center fielder and also, really holding his own in his first year at double, even as a 21-year-old, um, just fill us in and why you're – I think a lot of people are higher on him than they were even entering the season. A hundred percent. And, you know, that's – I'm glad you, like, steered me towards more positivity here because there are things to be positive about. And I think Victor Mesa Jr. has to be the most, along with Khalil Watson, the, the two most positive developments of this season so far. And uh, I think Mesa Jr. is legitimately looking like a guy that could take over – you know, center field and, and be somebody that forces their way in, into their plans. And I think what stood out the most to me with Mesa was two things. One was the power that he added, you know, after really never flashing a max exit velocity above 103, 104 last year, already several 109 mile per hour exit velocities this year, which, you know, is is pretty solid. That That's above average. And I think he's got room for a little bit more. The other thing that stood out to me, you mentioned the good catch, Eli. He is smooth in center field. And he talked a little bit about it on the call-up about how he was, you know, shagging balls. His, obviously, his father is a legend in Cuba. Being out in the field shagging live fly balls and BP as a five, six-year-old, like that gets – those are things that just get you those inherent abilities to get jumps, to read fly balls. And you can see it out there. And that was – I think when I did the video dive and when I went out and watched him a little bit, you know, in the preseason – that was what stood out to me the most. You know, I never really thought that he could be a, an above average to even plus defensive center fielder. But between his speed, the way he's able to move out there, his jumps, his reads, and his arm, um, he really is a, an impactful center fielder. Now you add the power, the improving approach, and, and you've got a really well-rounded center fielder potentially here. He'll always swing and miss a little bit, but I think he's already showing that he can keep that in check. And the fact that his strikeout rate's down to 28.5%, that's just about league average, maybe a, a niche below. That's pretty impressive for a 21-year-old who's playing center field every day out there. Yeah, I guess the only – I'm not a concern, but, I mean, he's not getting on base as much as maybe you would like. I mean, 337 OBP and only a 9. And the walk rate's all right, 9.3, compared to, you know, as mentioned, the league average strikeout rate. I guess the only other thing with Victor Mesa Jr. is that he's lefty and Miami needs lefties. I mean, you look at – not obviously can't make a comparison to the big league roster right now because he's probably maybe a year or two away, but – 
you look at the roster right now, the only left you have is a really bad Joey Wendell and Luis Rise, I believe. And now you have Jesus Sanchez coming back. So you would like to see Victor Mesa Jr. And obviously, I think you feel a lot better with him out there than Jazz Chisholm Jr. in center field, who, you know, despite the criticism with Jazz, he's probably been one of the better center fielders just statistically looking at baseball savant stuff. And, you know, moving on with another Cuban prospect, um, Giddy Cape. He got off to a great start. And all of a sudden, he's kind of just not being good whatsoever. <laughs> but I mean, just enough to say that the 81 WRC plus way under league average, hitting 236, 278, 351, 629. Only, I mean, he showed some power really early on in the year. But besides that, I mean, it's been pretty. I got, I mean, obviously, still 19 years old, playing at Beloit. He only played half a season with Jupiter, which says how much, how high they were on him. But man, I mean, it's just looking like that decision is coming back to bite the Marlins a little bit. Yeah. You know, I, I'm okay with them challenging him. And, and I think, you know, it's, it, it's tough to, to play in Beloit when it's super cold early in the year, but it's ironic because he actually started the year pretty well. And uh, that was one where when I was doing the dive and when I put out, you know, the, the, the rankings, I know people were very surprised that Cape was not the, the top prospect position player wise in the system. And, um, you know, what I pointed towards was, you know, some of the approach issues. And I think the power not being as uh, as evident maybe in the data as it may look when you watch the video because he's a 6'3 kid with long levers and, you know, has the flare and the flash. When he gets a hold of one, it looks like he really got a hold of one. But in terms of the exit velocities, they're below average. Even his max exit velocities, like uh, – below what Victor Mesa was at last year. Again, this doesn't mean Cape is not a good prospect. He's 6'3". He's got plenty of room for projection. I, I think he can grow into more strength. But when you're chasing more than 40% of the time and the power right now is fringy and they've already moved him to second base, to me, I, I, there wasn't too much of a comparison between uh, you know Watson – or excuse me, not Watson – between Cape and Mesa Jr. That said, Cape still has plenty of upside – I think he's going to grow into more strength, tap into more power, and that approach is going to have to get better. Again, you can't you can't chase 40, 41% of pitches and you know have success. It's pretty hard to do that. You got to be a pretty elite bat to ball guy. He's a good bat to ball guy, not an elite bat to ball guy. And I think that's where he's kind of stuck right now. I think it's growing pains. I think he'll be fine. And I still think he's you know a big part of what they're doing here uh, in terms of trying to build in this farm system. But yeah, I think we kind of realized a little quickly here that he's a little further off maybe than some may have thought in the early going. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Aaron, what's up, man? How's it going? Uh, we'll catch up after this. I just wanted to get your opinion. I know you went on Twitter and we were talking about Jacob Amaya, who has just been, you know, red hot. You, you guys know he's one of my guys. Do the Marlins call him up now? And what have you been your thoughts on him? <laughs> that was awesome. I was not expecting that. What's going on, man? That's a great question. Um, I, it's it's funny because I've been getting some Marlins fans tweeting me about Amaya, and when the trade happened, you know, to, to send out Miguel Rojas to get Jacob Amaya, I, I loved it, you know. And obviously, the offensive struggles in the early going were a bit concerning, given that he went from you know a hitter friendly environment now to a little bit more of a challenging environment. Now we see the offense struggle. We're like, oh no, is is this kind of him struggling to get acclimated outside of the PCL in the Texas League? Turns out that I think he just got off to a slow start. What what stands out to me with Amaya is his approach is is fantastic. I mean, watching through, you know, now that I saw the hot streak that the Marlins fans continue to, to tweet at me about, I'm like, let me go watch all these at bats and see what changed. There wasn't really any adjustment in the box, but there was a much more, I would say, comfortable approach. His takes look so easy, like not even twitching, just so relaxed. 
I think you saw a guy that was much more comfortable. The game looked slower to him. And now all of a sudden, the, the, the contact rates are above average. The zone contact rates are well above average. His chase rates are elite. And he's hitting the ball hard enough. The one hole I would poke in his game, like if there's one thing, he puts the ball on the ground too much. But that said, if you walk, you hit the ball at least slightly above average in terms of, of how hard you hit it, and you, you don't swing and miss much, that'll play. And, and we're talking about what the Marlins are getting or not getting right now from shortstop. Amaya is a great defender. I think if he played a full big league season, he'd grade out as you know above average at shortstop. And I think that's enough for the Marlins to seriously consider calling this guy up. And he's point blank, one of the hottest hitters in the minor leagues period right now. Uh, and that's pretty impressive in AAA. And he's still only 24. So I think the Marlins are going to give him a look pretty soon. I think they're really now just figuring out who would have to go for them to do that and, and how do they clear up that spot. And he's going to provide you power at the shortstop position. I mean, you you don't you obviously with this organization you have Nasi Nunez who now is giving you a little bit, and then you have Yidi who gives it to you a little bit. I mean, besides that, I mean, it's 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 Amaya, Amaya yeah. with five homers in the month of May itself, sixteen RBIs. He's putting the ball in play. He's getting on base. He's doing everything he has to do. I mean, really, I think he's proven what he's had to prove in in, in AAA, and obviously, it's only one month, but. I think it's big sample size to say, you know, you're doing more than what Joey Wendell's currently doing right now at the major yeah. leagues, right? Even John Birdie. So, and you know, nothing against John Birdie. He's been all right, but man, I think, I think it's time to call it Maya. Well, for what it's worth to that last, you talk about the power, the home run he hit yesterday was the hardest hit ball of the year for him. So something, I don't know if he was like not feeling hundred percent or you just need to get his legs under him or whatever it was, but he's also hitting the ball harder now. So that was interesting too. 107.4 off the bat and that home run off of Luke Farrell that went 447. Like th that wasn't something that he was doing much of early in the year. And again, when you do it at altitude, not the exit velocity, but more the distance, you see 440 at altitude. You, you take that with a grain of salt. That's a legit Homer. Uh, and again, like that's a guy that I think could hit 15 home runs at the big league level. If he hits enough and we're seeing him hit enough. So, I think the Marlins are pretty close to giving Jacob Amaya a shot, and uh, I think he's just about earned it. And then sticking with shortstop, I want to get into Nassim Nunez, who arguably the best defender, defensive shortstop in this system for Miami. Oh, yeah. He's 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 shown the power. He's been getting on base at a high rate. I mean, no real complaints with Nassim at the moment. And switch hitter, I mean, he's been good. And I think you mentioned this today when I was listening to the call-up that once Amaya gets called up, it's probably Nassim the AAA. I think it could be because I think Nunez is a guy who will actually benefit from AAA a little bit. He is, again, like staying with the, the theme of patience. Nassim Nunez borders on passive, but you're you're okay with a guy like him being passive because he's not afraid to go into three, two counts. He talked about it on the call up also. Um, he's like, I, I don't care. You got to make three pitches to me and, and I like my chances. And, you know, I, I don't like that mentality. If you're, you know, a power guy taking some fastballs that you could hit, but if you're Nassim Nunez, a scrappy guy who's super fast and has a lot of confidence in his ability to put the ball in play and has a smaller strike zone. I like that. And, and the big difference in strike zone size the, the biggest difference you're going to see, it's not between high A and double A. It's double A to triple A. That's where it's going to most closely mirror what you're going to see at the big league level. So I think Nazim Nunez's approach will actually play to his favor a bit more in triple A. And those pitchers are less effectively wild and they're more around the zone. I also think that'll play into his favor. And, and then you also have the fact that, you know, you don't have those baseballs, which I think for a guy like him, it, it might it might also help him. Nunez, he's got to hit a little bit more. I think he's shown, like you said, a little bit more power. He's in the ball a little bit harder. He's in the ball a little bit more consistently. Um, 
if he can just hit the ball, if he can even be a 730 OPS guy at the highest level, he'll be a multi-win player every year because he the new rules cater to him so well. You can't shift as much. Great. He's one of the best defensive shortstops in the minor leagues. Uh, stolen bases are encouraged now. Great. He's one of the best, best base stealers in the entire minor leagues. And that's not, you know, hy- hyperbolic on either of those fronts. I <laughs> That's one of the more fun video dives I've ever done is, is Nassim Nunez defensive shortstop clips. Um, I mean, he, he does things on the baseball field that, you know, very few uh, I've seen in the minor leagues uh, I've been able to do at shortstop. And then we know he's capable of stealing 50, 60 bags you know, pretty much every single year. I think he could be an everyday shortstop. It's really just going to come down to, can he at least put together league average offensive numbers? And I think he can remember. He's still just 22. And I do want to add, he's, I think all his homers thus far have been opposite field homers. So I don't know how much we take that into account, but it's, it's impressive that the guy's not only showing the power, but he's doing it, you know, with, with opposite field power where he's getting those homers in there. And then finally, the final shortstop we'll mention before we go back to being a little negative on the system is, uh, I wanted to talk about Khalil Watson, who you mentioned. I think you put out a tweet very recently about Khalil. You know, it's time we start looking back and, you know, we start looking at Khalil Watson. You know, besides the 227 batting average, he's still getting on base at a high rate. OPS of 719, two homers, eight RBIs, 117 WRC plus, and he's walking at a 16.4 rate and striking out at an under the league average. So a guy who maybe Miami put him back into shape after a really rough last season where he got. I guess you could say internally suspended, sent to AAA to learn from guys, and you maybe looks like his mental set is a lot better than it was last season. And it's definitely paying off of how how he's been playing. Yeah, a hundred percent. Look, and we're still early enough in the season where like a stretch of a few games can can skew the overall numbers. And, and I think Watson, if we recorded this four or five days ago, the numbers would have looked even better. The tough part with the minor leagues is with the new setup, and I like it overall. But with the new setup and scheduling, you're going to play the same team six games in a row sometimes. And if that organization has a better game plan and and just has pitchers that are executing really well in that moment, you can go through a quick slump. And that's exactly what's happened with Khalil Watson. They played quad cities. And in that, I think the last four or five games, he's 0 for 20 with like 8Ks or whatever it is. Those That's brought the numbers down. But overall, I think Eli has the tweet queued up there. The contact rates are up. The swing looks better. His strikeout rate's down. He's not chasing. He looks like he has a plan up there. And and again, like you talked about some of the the off-the-field issues that he had. I kind of saw those spilling into on the field. I don't like to speculate, but like just the way I was watching this guy take at-bats last year, it was just like he was almost one foot in, one foot out. Yeah, yeah. Just to be more blunt about it, the body language sucked. Yes. Yeah. Okay. For, Thank you, Eli. Yeah. <laughs> He's like the body language was terrible, and and I saw it on the on the backfields, and you you see that spill into the at bats where it's like half hearted swing at a pitch that you just shouldn't have swung at. That's not the case now because I think this was a kid that finally saw like, hey, it doesn't matter how good I was before, it doesn't matter how high I was drafted or who I am, they will cast you aside real quick if you don't meet the standards of professional baseball, and. Look, he grew up, and I think he's still in the process of doing so, but I've heard nothing but great things about how he's been going about his business compared to last year. And again, I think it's spilling onto the field as well. He's looked really good out there, and I I do think that he is still a really, really good prospect and someone the Marlins. And Marlins fans should be very excited about. It's hard to say that there's not a – or that there's a position player prospect with more upside than Khalil Watson, and he's already starting to show that 
pretty well. And I love how much he's already starting to get the ball in the air and flash that power too. Yeah, you I think, think I know where Kevin work? wants to go uh, after this on, on Khalil. As, as we're wrapping up pretty soon with Arm Laden of Jets Baseball, talking about Khalil, he's the top guy from the 2021 draft. Right after him, they picked Joe Mack. And I believe you were in the fall league to see him last year, and he had some nice flashes over there. The start of his season up in high Beloit, at least offensively, is off to uh, the lack of slugging, especially, has been kind of shocking to me. We were a little conflicted as to where to rank him on our own list at this moment. Kevin, in particular, is, is kind of out on him or getting <laughs> close to being out on him. What, what do you make of where we are with Joe Mack at this point? He is, I think you hit the nail on the head, Eli. He's got to be one of the hardest, toughest guys to gauge in this in this system um, because I liked what I saw in the fall league, and it looked different than this. Um, yeah. In the fall league, I saw a guy with a more present lower half. I saw a guy that was whiffing a little bit but also had some juice. And even talking to I had some buddies that were teammates of his um, that were saying, man, yeah, I like what I see from Joe. He can swing it. And I, that's the same takeaway I had in BP and in the games and whatever. And um, I, I wanted to chalk it up to cold weather in the early going this year. Cause you know, but Max, a cold weather kid, like it shouldn't have been something that affected him as much in Beloit. And, um, to me, it looks like the lower half is like very uninvolved. Uh, and that's resulted in a pretty high ground ball rate. It's almost near 60%. And that also will sap your power. I don't know if this was an adjustment made to try to be more consistent, more simple to the ball, but now he's kind of sacrificing the one thing that I liked, which was the, the power that he had. And, I just I don't like what I'm seeing from the swing right now. He's still 20. He's a high school catcher. Um, I, I think it's very early to be out on on somebody like this. But again, I mean, we know the track record of high school catchers. We know the track record of high school ca- catchers with hit tool concerns, which Joe Mack had at the time of the draft. So there's plenty of reason to be concerned. But I still think you got to look at this guy as you know one of the better prospects in terms of upside in the system and you got to give them a little bit more time at 20 years old as a catcher in high a so i want to get into the weaknesses of this system obviously you mentioned it catcher i think that's the one of the more obvious ones because even pmac he's a good offensive prospect but i mean behind the plate it's it's pretty it's a it's a concern and then you go a little lower you have will banfield who has looked better and i, and I do want to talk about banfield because he has looked a lot better i mean He's hitting a lot for power. I think a lot of his offense is thanks to his to his power. And, I mean, defensively, he's looked great. And there's no real other way to put it. He caught Yuri last year. He caught Dax. He's caught Fitter, I believe, this year. I mean, they've, they've all looked good. So no real reason to be worried about the defense. But just Arm, how do you see this the catching position in, in, for the Marlins and the Miners? Because in AAA, it's basically fillers at this point. And you go down, and we mentioned Joe Mack. Bennett Hoffman now in AA. He's gotten off to a pretty good start there. But – been pretty bad besides that i think banfield's got to be pretty close to a triple a promotion at this point you know i think you got to see what he can do up there um and i think banfield's a a big leaguer in some capacity i i think it might be as a a backup ultimately i think you know we'll see if he sinks or swims up there but i I think with what you've got defensively there i like the way that he receives i like the way that he calls games he talked about catching yuri worked really well with him Uh, it's not a coincidence obviously there's a lot of talent that's gone through pensacola but a lot of those pitchers have, have worked specifically with Banfield and, and McIntosh and done well, but I think you know they've looked a little bit more comfortable at times with with Banfield. McIntosh rakes, and I think that there's a good chance for a big league bat there. I really love the bat. You look at the 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 swing in terms of the eye test, or you look at the metrics; it all looks really good. It's just where does he play? Uh, but Banfield is is I think still a 
a decent catching prospect in the respect that he could be a, a decent ba- big league backup, especially with the defense and, and the way he calls a game. Uh, but this is a number one spot that the Marlins need to address because it's just not that easy to find catchers. And, and we know that. I think we've seen that. They tried to address it you know, through trade. Obviously, that wasn't the move. And right now, I, I don't see a lot of promise coming up through the minors, uh, even at the lower levels. Uh, we we probably will talk draft another time, but like I'd be praying to every god that Kyle Teal falls to you. You know, if if, if I'm the Marlins, um, that's one of my favorite prospects in the draft. But I, I, that catching is is bad. It's it's got to be as bad organizationally for the Marlins as it is anywhere else. Um, but if if Paul could could catch, he they'd be in good shape. I'd say he's on a fast track. But unfortunately, I think Paul might be you know best suited somewhere else. And then the other spot you're looking at in the organization, organizationally, where you're like, oh, this is kind of a weakness. I, my only other concern would be third base. Third base? Yeah. yeah. I, I would say that the Marlins agree with you, and I would say not because I've spoken to them about it, but because just the fact that Jacob Berry is actively playing third base – I think tells you everything you need to know about how they feel about the third base position. And I feel really like I, I don't want to pile on the kid as he's struggling as a first round pick. And I've, I've kind of stopped myself from posting some of the, some of the clips, but like, to be fair, I think the Marlins are stunting the growth of Jacob Berry by asking him to try to figure out how to play third base. Like it's that bad out there. Like he, they're really putting him in over his head there. I know he's saying all the right things. What is he going to say? I can't play third. Like, of course he's going to say I can try and do it, but he's trying to get acclimated hitting wise. And he looks totally in over his head defensively. If they put him at first, I, I think he'd be able to relax a little bit more and focus on just the bat, which is what they drafted him for. It, I think playing third base is wearing him out because it, it has been really rough for him out there. Um, I still have hope that Barry can develop into a decent hitter. Uh, but again, that doesn't help the third base situation. They definitely need to look. Um, ultimately, you draft shortstops, I think. And if they move to third base, they move to third base. So I, I think that's more reflective of just the entire infield situation in the Marlins organization more than just specifically third base. Would it be behoove of the Marlins to maybe get Yoni Morales and put him at third, keep him there? Miami guy. I don't think it's a bad idea. I don't think it's a bad idea, man. I would, I'd be going college, 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 unless, unless you go high school arm that you really like. The Marlins seem to do okay in that regard, but college bats, um, and and college bats with a little bit. A little bit more data-driven college bat selections would be nice. There's a lot of the guys that fit that mold. Um, Morales being one, uh, I, I could see them, you know, falling in love with one of the like uh, one of the sons of a big leaguer like Jacob Wilson, or or going from Gonzalez Olmos. I'd rather them not go that route. I'm going to be interested to see how they go. Uh, but the good news is there's a lot of college bats in this draft, so hopefully they pick the right one this time around. And then finally, before we wrap up, I <clears throat> I want to talk about projects that we are putting more stock into. I mean, there are guys in the organization we just don't talk about, and I think we, we have to. And I'm going to maybe steal your answer here, and I'm going to go Dane Myers from Double A because I know you <laughs> spoke about him today on the call-up. This guy is raking. I mean, he had an inside Parker the other day. He's hitting 285, 381, 430, 811, 50, 15 RBIs, 10 stolen bases. He's walking at a, at a 12% rate, striking out a 17, and he has a 129 WRC+. That, you know, he was a minor league rule five guy, and I think Eli said this, kind of like a Charles Blanc of this year, where he's a minor league rule five guy and got drafted to Miami, and he's raking and probably pushing to, to make a, at some point, make it to AAA. 
Yeah, I mean, well, Dane was a pitcher, which was the craziest part, was, you know. Yeah. And he draft, you know, two way prospect. They liked him more as a pitcher at first. He's drafted as a pitcher, and you know, it didn't work out. So he goes, you know, the hitting route, and then gets hurt. Has barely played, and you know, now like this is really a second full season of hitting. So you got to throw the age to the wayside when you're looking at that. Of course, like you got to factor in how old he is. But when I'm evaluating him as a, as a prospect, like. I don't care how old he is because in terms of his at-bats, he's extremely young. Um, and and I think he's a, he's a heck of a hitter. I really do. And I think he's someone that y- you need to take seriously uh, because the bat-to-ball skills are there. He's got more power than four home runs right now. It's just trying to get it more consistently in the air. And he's a good athlete. I love the way he goes about his stuff. And I look, I don't know what he's going to end up being, but this was an excellent snag in the minor league rule five. And uh, I think this was a great job by the Marlins scouting department because Myers is one of those guys that slips through the cracks and you're looking for upside. That's someone that maybe hasn't had enough at bats to fail where you feel like, Oh, this is a sample size. It's not going to work. Sample size was small. And now we're seeing he smoothed out some of those moves in the box and he looks really damn good. This guy might be able to hit enough. And, and I think that's a pretty nice pickup given it was the minor league f- phase of the rule five draft. Yeah. Anything you want to add on there, Eli, or you're good. I think that's about it. Entering this year, a lot of us were pointing to Beloit as um, the sexiest affiliate in this organization. And the way it's played out, I think Pensacola has overtaken them between Myers, between the way Victor Jr. has played. The fact that uh, we were talking, Arm, you were talking about this, how it feels like Troy Johnson and other guys that should have been in triple to begin with have been repeating double. (laughs) So as it turned out, uh, it's all come together and they've been winning games for whatever it's worth. They had that long winning streak that went like two weeks. So that has been a really pleasant surprise that um, that affiliate, the guys performing there. So hopefully some of those guys that are there right now do get a chance, maybe in the bigs by the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the one guy, I guess, to answer the one question that you asked, Kevin, is, is I'd, I'd highlight Troy Johnson because it's not just Troy putting up good numbers again, just like last year in double A. It's Troy doing it while hitting the ball harder. So that was the question. It's like, how much power is going to be there for Troy? He's hitting the ball harder than he ever has. Another guy, don't know what the defensive home is. He's going to probably have to play first. But at the end of the day, like, He's hitting the ball hard. He's hitting the ball consistently. He's got a good approach. I think you got to consider, especially getting him a call up to AAA. I know he struggled up there last year, but this is a different Troy Johnson. I think this is a little bit more powerful version of him, and that might be the difference. So I'd like to see him get the promotion to Triple. Look, I don't know what he looks like in the long term, but he's definitely earned that, and he's still definitely a guy worth following. Yeah, and there's there's teams that probably love Troy Johnson, and I know there was a team that was willing to take him the Rule Five draft. I found out this weekend, but no, I mean. He like he does deserve the promotion to AAA. It, it sucks that right now it's Gerard and I believe who else is playing first base. I think it's just Gerard right now and LeBlanc. I think it's just a combo. Yeah, it's like a rotating guys. cast of those infielders. Yeah. It's really and bad. I think Troy's a better better prospect than Gerard to be honest. Like at this at yeah. this stage, you combine the hit with the added power. I, I'd I'd rather see or I'd rather see Troy get those at bats at this point. To, to be honest. Yeah, and he gives you not he gives you the possibility to have that bat to ball, and then he also gives you the power. He gives you a balance of both. He can get you some extra base hits. He shed it off ten pounds of weight. He still says he has the power, and obviously we've seen it this year. He's getting those triples. I mean, he, he's doing what he has to. In Gerard, yeah, he's he's looked good. I mean, I, you can't take it away from him. He's looked for the most part. He's been pretty good. It's but it's been more power than contact and choice. Someone's gonna give you both. But you know, yep. I think that is where we're gonna end at Eli Arm. Eli, you have anything else to add or do you think we're good to go? It's a perfect place to end it. Thank you for joining us here on a Memorial Day. And um yeah, this has been really insightful. Appreciate it. 
Thank you so much for having me. Really pumped for what you guys have going on at Fish on First and, and really excited to follow along. And I hope everybody else is, is excited about what you guys are doing as I am. From Aram, from Eli, myself, from Isaac, who popped in for a minute. We'll see you guys all the next time. <laughs> Peace out. Go Fish.